Hello, online family. My name is Matthew Malik, and I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. We are so incredibly glad that you chose to tune in to the Refuge official podcast today. We believe the message you are about to hear will inspire you in a very meaningful way. We believe the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work in your life. And we believe that you'll hear from him today. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, happy Easter Sunday. My name is Matt Malik. I'm the lead pastor at Refuge, and we're so glad you could join us today. You have heard it said that people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, I believe the same applies to hope. People are looking for hope in all the wrong places. And whether it's hope or love, if they look for it in the wrong place, they will end up being disappointed. In this morning's Easter message, we want to talk about how in Christ alone our hope is found. We can actually find our hope in Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, even when hopelessness abounded and it seemed like all hope was gone especially in the events of Jesus' arrest, his betrayal, his sentencing, and his death on the cross. What this world offers for hope is empty and dead. However, there is a living hope that is energizing, active, and alive in the soul of every believer. It was at sunrise on Sunday, the first day of the week, that Jesus rose from the dead. First Peter chapter 1, we see Peter states a very important statement concerning the resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3 states, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What exactly does Peter mean when he speaks of a living hope? Peter states that it is the new birth that provides our living hope, affirming that salvation is truly a gift from God. Just as an infant does nothing to be born, we experience rebirth through Jesus Christ based not on what we have done, but what he has done for us. The hope that Peter speaks of is not just wishful thinking, which we often associate with the word hope. The Greek term, for hope in this particular passage actually means an eager, confident expectation. One Bible translates this verse as a hope that lives on. Because of Jesus, we live with a great and confident expectation for the future. Our living hope originates from a living, loving, resurrected Savior. Our living hope is Jesus Christ. People lose hope when they fail to see a future for their life. Hope is future expectation. And a world without hope is a world in despair. People cannot survive long without hope. Hope keeps us going even through difficult times and difficult experiences. And the fear of the future, what it may hold. We need a living hope. A living hope is actually anchored in the past because Jesus rose from the dead. A living hope continues in the present because Jesus is alive. A living hope endures throughout the future because Jesus is coming again. A living hope 
enables us to live without despair in this present life, even when we face challenges and conflict that may be difficult to endure. The believer's hope is solid and secure. In fact, Hebrews 6.19 states, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I believe that God is going to minister to you in today's message. Continue to join with us as we worship him. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather together in your name. We thank you for this day that we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from among the dead. And we thank you that his life has granted life to all who believe. Father, I pray that you give us understanding and wisdom as we share the word that can help us to comprehend what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And often the focus of resurrection can be on the event. And that's important to consider the event. But it's really the effect of the event that impacts our lives. There's incredible historical proof and personal witness and encounters that Jesus is alive. I don't know about you, but I believe that Jesus Christ is alive because he's alive in me. And I've encountered him in a way that has brought transformation to my life. If you would have known me or seen me before I was following Jesus and committed my life to him, uh, I'm not the same person. I'm changed. I was very shy, very introverted. I had no self-confidence. I was prone to be the failure if there was going to be one. And so God has moved in my life in such an incredible way. Now, it is in Christ alone that our hope is found because he alone gives us a living hope. And I want to look at the verse again that I shared uh, earlier in the video we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And it states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This starts with worship towards God. And it goes on to say, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's something he accomplished. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, a living hope. What does it mean to have a living hope? What does that mean? I actually have three points that I want to share with you in this morning's message. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. A living hope means that closed doors are opened. Closed doors are opened. See, the door of hope, that has been closed, is now open, opened. We're no longer locked in a dark place of fear and without an exit to be able to come to God. In fact, the door to salvation is now open. Second Corinthians 6.2 declares, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. See, I don't know about you, I grew up on a farm. And uh, so growing up on the farm, we had a lot of chores, we had a lot of duties, responsibilities. And actually, I'm thankful to God for that life because I learned the ethic of hard work, uh, developing a, a good work ethic in my life, and it's really helped me to this present day. But growing up on the farm, I loved working in the garden. Now, we would plant the crops, you know, uh, corn, and even one year we did soybeans and 
lots of alfalfa and, and oats and those kind of things. But I really loved working in the garden because I loved watching things grow. And my mom would give me the task at planting time to put the seeds in the ground, make the rows of carrots and onions and all the other things we'd plant in the garden. But I loved the wonder and the amazement to see things grow, to see things brought to life. And as you heard in the spoken word earlier, every believer has a spiritual garden growing within them. In fact, it started by a single seed of hope that's planted in their soul. And it allows us to live, I believe, with a confident expectation as we place our trust in Jesus, who actually provides that seed of hope. In fact, Jesus, who provided the seeds of hope, that seed of hope could not be killed by the cold darkness of the grave. And so, just as the announcement or the advertisement says, what's in your wallet? Have you heard that? What's in your wallet? What's in your garden? What's growing in your garden this morning? What is God doing in your life right now? Do you embrace the living hope that Jesus came to give us? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Word of God states, You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, that was the condition of all of us before we had an encounter with Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never really encountered Jesus in a meaningful way. And you don't have a personal relationship with him. There was a day that I didn't, but I came into an experience and an encounter with Jesus. But before that, I was without hope. And so is every human being until they encounter God in their life. In verse 13, it goes on to say, but now, and now it's a significant word there to bridge this passage. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. How many of you could attest to that? Yeah, I was far away from God. Um, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. See, Jesus brought us near to him through what he did on the cross. See, God took the worst possible situation, the death of his very son, and he used it for your good and my good as a, as a result that changed the world that we live in. See, his resurrection, I believe, is still changing lives today. It's not something that is, is not doing anything in the earth. It is doing something in the earth right now because its power is just as real as the moment that Jesus broke out of that tomb. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, the, the scripture reads, that even though you were dead because of our sins, and that's what sin does, it causes spiritual death, which separates us from God, where we become alienated from him. And because God is a holy God, we can't come into his presence because of the sin and the nature of that sin that consumes our lives. It, again, it goes on to say that even though we were dead because of sins, notice what it says, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is not only by God's grace that you've been saved, or it is only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ Jesus. We need to understand that this thing called resurrection is something that connects you with God. Because we're united with him. 
So when Jesus was raised from the dead, that directly impacts your life because you were raised with him in that event. Now, you might need to see that spiritually, but that's the truth that we need to embrace and understand. So point number one, a living hope means that closed doors have been opened. We have a way to access God. We have a way to come before him and receive everything that he has for us. Point number two, a living hope means that we are made right with God. We're made right with God. Now, there's so many people that try to get their self right with God. They try to change their ways, turn a new, over a new leaf, uh, start a resolution in their life at the beginning of the year. They're trying to change their life to make themselves right with God. Well, you can't do it on your own, okay? In Romans chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, the scripture reads, For our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. Wow. Now, that's pretty simple, but yet it's very profound. That God will consider you right or righteous before him if you believe in him. Notice it goes on to say, the verse reads, The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, and he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right. I want you to notice the last part of that verse. He, the one raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Verse 25, if you go to 25. All right. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. See, that's what his resurrection is all about. To be made right with him. Was there a time in your life that you realized you weren't right with him? In fact, there's times we miss it. There's times we sin and then we think, okay, I need to get right with God. But his resurrection power made that possible for you and for me. The third point I want to share with you this morning is a living hope means that you are alive with Christ. You're alive with him. And see, that's something we need to to wrap our minds around and begin to understand that we're alive with him because he lives, we live, okay? Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now, let me just say, uh, whenever you have to cut something away, maybe it's going to hurt a little bit. And the scripture here says you were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet addressed or dealt with. If a person has cancer, they have a cancerous tumor, the doctors that cut that cancerous tumor away to save a person's life. And, and very often there's going to be pain. There's going to be something you have to go through for that thing to be cut away. And so sometimes, and I think the pain of having sin cut away is you coming to a place of humble repentance before God and being willing to let him fully rule and reign in your life, to totally trust him. Notice it goes on to say, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. Notice it doesn't say half of your sins, but he forgave all of your sins. You might think there's sins that God can't forgive you of because they're just too serious, they're too bad. But he forgives every sin, whether it's a white lie or whether it's adultery. He forgives all of your sins. Do you believe that? You need to believe that. You need to receive that. Verse 14 goes on to say, 
he canceled out the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now realize, if a person was found guilty of a crime and there's charges against that person that would determine them to go into prison because of those charges, what Jesus did for us with the sins that were charged against us, he canceled the record of those charges. In fact, he took it to the cross and he nailed it to the cross, stating that that's as far as it would go. And so if charges are canceled, guess what? The one who was guilty gets to go free, and that's you and me. As sinners, we get to go free. We will not be charged for those sins because Jesus paid the price. He nailed it to his cross where he died in our place. Now, you need to realize that resurrection is for your benefit. Okay? It's for your benefit. It's for my benefit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, the scripture reads, We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? He's going to raise us together, and he's going to present us to himself. Verse 15, notice what it says. All of this is for your benefit. It's for your benefit. It's for my benefit. See, it was not for his benefit. It was for your benefit. He did this not for himself. He did this for you. He did this for me. And it goes on to say, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. I tell you what, I am very thankful for what Jesus has done for me. And I, I'm looking out here, and I see lives that have been absolutely transformed by the power of God. And I, I know that you're thankful for how God delivered you and set you free from addiction, how he delivered you and set you free from fear, and how he brought you to a place of hopelessness, to a place where hope lives in you. In Christ alone, my hope is found. I want to read the lyrics of that song. We, we just sung it a little bit ago, but that song is so powerful. And the message it has, I believe, is real for us here today. And it reads, these lyrics go, He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here. In the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, 
since curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his, and he is mine, bought with this precious blood of Christ. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. So in Christ alone, guess what? We're heaven-bound. We're forgiven and set free from sin. You know, one of the questions I want to ask you this morning, for those of you that are tuning in online, this is a question I have for you as well. Have you found your hope in Jesus Christ? Can you absolutely answer that question with a yes? Yes, I found my hope in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I have. Well, I want to speak particularly to you at this time. We need to understand that the personal impact of his resurrection is far-reaching. We're born again and made alive unto God. We're forgiven and set free from the power of sin and eternal death. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we see a very interesting passage. The scripture reads, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. See, there's no other Savior that can save you except Jesus. He is the Savior. See, Christianity stands alone because of that one truth. Buddha can't save you. Mohammed can't save you. There's no other religious leader that can save you. Only Jesus can and will. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we see a scripture that actually talks about how this is accomplished. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's why I believe the resurrection and believing in the resurrection is of such importance. Because if you don't believe in it, then you cannot be saved. Okay? goes on to say in verse 10, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So declaring his lordship over you. It's interesting we see Jesus at the time of Lazarus' death. He was called to the scene and Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus spoke to Mary and Martha about the situation. And they were concerned about the death. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And, you know, Jesus all along knew exactly what he would do. But he made a very profound statement in verse 25. And and realize he made this statement before his death, before he was crucified, and before he had risen again. But this statement is a reality of truth of who Jesus is. And Jesus said to him, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What a promise. What an important truth that we need to wrap our minds around and and put our heart in and our faith in. If you believe in Jesus, you may face death, but it's not over because there's life beyond the grave for those who trust him. Verse 26 goes on to say, And everyone who lives and believes in me 
shall never die. Do you believe this? Oh, now that's a little more challenging to believe that. You mean if I believe in Jesus, I'll never die? For the believer, death is different because we pass from this life to the next life. It's like walking through a door. We pass into eternity, alive and well, and into the presence of God. We will not experience death in the sense that an unbeliever will, who will face judgment for their sins and condemnation to eternal separation from God. I want to lead you in a prayer. We call this prayer a believer's prayer. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And in this very moment, the Spirit of God is moving upon your heart. And you may be asking the question, am I right with you, God? Are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to repent? Are you ready to give your life to Jesus and allow him to have his way, to embrace who he is and allow him to do what he wants to do in your life? If so, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And don't just repeat the words. Allow these words to be embraced from your heart. Let them have meaning and pray them with all seriousness. Go ahead and bow your heads if you would. And with nobody looking around, if you lift your hand and say, Pastor, I know I need Jesus right now. My life is not right with God, and I'm ready and willing to surrender in this moment, okay? Thank you. The others, let's pray this prayer together. For those of you that raised their hands, raise your hands and others, we can all pray this together because this prayer will only reaffirm your faith in Jesus if you've already accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I come before you now in this moment. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and need a Savior. I acknowledge that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose from the dead to give me life. Jesus, I put my faith in you as my Savior and as my Lord. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer sincerely, that will activate a faith and a belief in you to receive the gift of eternal life and to allow God to do something so incredible, so awesome, so life-changing. I tell you what, so many times people don't realize all that God can do and wants to do in their life. Don't limit him. Let him work. Let him set you free from that addiction. Let him break the bondage of fear, the bondage of insecurity. Let him help you to navigate through the difficult situations that you're facing, the difficult relationship. Maybe you're having financial challenges right now and you're worried and full of fear. Allow Jesus to take hold of that fear and bring peace and give you direction and strength. At this time, we're going to invite you to partake of communion with us. Communion is a time that we call to remembrance what Jesus 
has done for us on the cross. And it's interesting when Jesus met at the Last Supper to introduce communion and the Lord's Supper. At that event, it was before his death. It was before his resurrection. But yet he was instituting something that would be established for the new covenant where we are made to be in right relationship with God. And it's all about remembrance. In fact, remembrance is a significant term to consider when we partake of communion together. In every biblical account where the Last Supper is mentioned, we see that remembrance is a factor. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. If you want to turn, if you have your Bibles, or you can look on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, reads, And we, when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is speaking of the bread. And said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we remember what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. Verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, each of you have the communion elements that you see. If you pull back the first tab, there's a wafer. And this piece of bread represents the broken body of Jesus that was given for us where he offered himself as a sacrifice of sins. And by partaking of this bread, we're acknowledging and calling to remembrance what Jesus did for us, but also connecting ourselves by faith with him because we become one with him. The scripture tells us that he who has been joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. We want to pray at this time over the bread before we partake. So join your faith with me. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this bread. And we thank, we're thankful for the life that Jesus lived. And the death that he died in our place when he gave himself for us. And by means of remembrance, we call to mind what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins. And we acknowledge that his death paid the price for our sins to give us life and that we can join together and be made one with him as we acknowledge you in this moment. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and partake of the bread together. The interesting thing about bread, bread is something that's common all over the world. I've been in many countries and gone to many restaurants and they often serve bread. And many times it's served at every meal. So bread is common. So when we partake of bread, it's a common thing we can all experience together. But yet Jesus is bringing what is common into something that is so unique and supernatural that involves him in our lives that unites us together as one because there is one body and we all are under the headship and the lordship of Jesus. And I believe that there needs to be healing in the church, healing in his body in this hour. 
And so you're partaking of that bread. Just receive the health and healing that only Jesus can bring into your marriage, into your home, into your personal life. There is hope for healing, restoration. The scripture I want to read before we partake of the uh, cup. The grape juice is symbolic of the blood that Jesus shed in our place. It speaks of forgiveness of sin. And obviously, all of us have sinned and all of us need forgiveness. But there's another component to forgiveness. And that is us forgiving others. If we've received forgiveness, then we must release forgiveness. If we're asking God to forgive us, then we need to be willing to forgive others. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Make allowances for each other's faults. How many of you do that? Yeah, there's a lot of, some people have more faults than others, right? So for some, you have to make more allowances for others. But notice what it says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Anyone who offends you, not just those you choose to to forgive, but anyone who offends you, you're required by the word to forgive them. And the reason why is because we've been forgiven. And once we're forgiven, we're empowered to forgive. And that's what the scripture says. Again, we see the word remember. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. You must forgive others. Verse 14 goes on to say, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Now, you need to realize something. The greatest expression of love is demonstrated through forgiveness. Jesus on the cross, to those who nailed his hands onto that cross and his feet onto that cross, those soldiers who whipped him, those religious leaders that were insulting him, mocking him, Jesus forgave them from the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Wow, it's very powerful. Many people would have been, I'll get back at you. I'm going to get revenge, but not Jesus. He forgave from the cross those who murdered him. So as we partake of this cup, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we acknowledge the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And the scripture makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But it's the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us, which purchased our redemption, which made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. And just as we receive forgiveness in this moment, we choose as an act of our will to forgive those who've wronged us, regardless of what they've done. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Go ahead and partake together. Now I sense in this place, I just want to be obedient to the Spirit of God that there are some that may have the question, I can't forgive them. 
How can I forgive them? You need to understand that you can forgive. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to trust them again because if they've wronged you, because trust needs to be rebuilt over time, but you must forgive. Don't take offense to the grave. Don't take bitterness and resentment to the grave. Growing up a neighbor, I'll just share this real quickly. Had a dog. He was like his son. His dog was everything to him. And went out in the field one day and noticed that somebody had shot his dog. His dog was laying dead by the ditch. And he was convinced that his neighbor down the road had shot him, shot his dog. And so he became angry, accused his neighbor. His neighbor said, I'm innocent of what you're accusing me of. But he didn't believe him. He continued to hold this against him. And I saw a very kind-hearted, loving man become enraged with bitterness and resentment. I saw his joy. I saw his whole life begin to be overwhelmed by bitterness and resentment. It was sad to see as a young man, seeing this neighbor that I loved and respected and thought was such a wonderful man become old and decrepit. And the sad thing is, he went to his grave without forgiving that man. I visited him in the hospital and I was encouraging to forgive when he's on his deathbed. And he said, I can't forgive him. I, I wept, realizing, oh God, how sad the situation is to take that to the grave. So you need to forgive. Now, stand up. We want to celebrate what Jesus has done for us because not only have we been forgiven, but we've been empowered to forgive. Not only have we been given a hope, but now we can live this hope with future expectation. And God bless you. Thank you so much again for tuning in to the Refuge Official Podcast. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to receive from the Lord today. If you chose to give your life to Jesus today or would like to find more of our content, we would love for you to get connected with us on our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing week.